Welcome to episode 25 of Something Inventive. I'll get back to you in a minute. Al and I talk about the importance of being a fast responder and our thoughts on the WXG 2018 conference. The sponsor for this episode is ticked-off.com. We're recording today in my office. Al's come over for a client meeting um, in Sirencester. So I'm sorry if anyone hears anything funny going on. It's like the little house out of the Goldilocks. Yeah. <laughs> it adds some authenticity. I think it makes it, yeah. We are real. Um, but yes, we're here in person today, so this will be quite interesting to see if there's any difference. Um, right, before we go on, we got some great feedback from Alex Kopok. Uh, he's a client uh, from Communion Architects. And he's got some good feedback, actually, on two things that I think you picked up out or picked up on. One is about, um, we were talking about reviewing and community, and he said he'd recently joined Airbnb, and um, he said as part of being part of that, they actively encourage you to not only review way, the accommodation, but also for the uh, accommodation host to review you. And he thought that was um, fascinating because it really brings you in as part of the community. Is that something you've done? Uh, I have done Airbnb, but yeah, again, I've not, I've not um, done the reviewing side in terms of like being reviewed. But I think why not? You know, uh, it always seems to be like the accommodation owners that are going yeah. out on a limb, you know, worrying that they're going to get bad review for like something very minor. <clears throat> so why shouldn't they uh, turn the tables on <laughs> on the guests as well? They've got to be well behaved. They've got to be good guests and reasonable. So yeah, why not? It all helps, doesn't it? I think yeah, it's good. And I think they can use that. <clears throat> at least some hosts can use that to judge whether they want to take on people. Because it's not like a hotel where the hotel will just accept your money and you'll come along and you'll be good or bad or whatever. But the host can actually judge whether they want people to come into their property, especially if it's their house, of course, and yeah. decline them. So I, I quite like that. So, yeah, he, that was his experience. that He quite liked the, um, what did he call it, the, the right to reply within the community. So he thought it was a very good experience and he quite liked it. Something else he picked up on um, was the speed of response. So, Al, you were saying how frustrated you get if you're filling something online and they don't get back to you pretty quickly. Yeah. I've got a low threshold for, for patience in that respect. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people do. They might not get frustrated with it, but they might dismiss people later on. And he um, he listened to a podcast, which is the, I think it's the Kerry Newwolf podcast. Am I spelling it? That's an amazing, right? it's an amazing surname. It's spelt um, N-I-E-U-W-H-O-F. And it's a leadership podcast. Newyhoff. Newyhoff. <laughs> Sorry, Kerry, if we got it wrong. Um... So he listens to this podcast on a regular basis, and uh, the guy was interviewing someone, uh, William Vanderbloem. I know. I, <laughs> All these could, names I can't you pronounce. couldn't make this up, really. <laughs> so he's interviewing William on uh, how to get, gain a competitive advantage and, and how he did that in his business. Um, and he was saying that um, it's, uh, it's amazing how the speed of response to a reply form or an inquiry can make a huge difference to whether you get a sale or it's, it's wiped off completely. Um, and so I listened to the podcast and I've got a link to exactly where he's talking about this, but it's worth looking, listening to the whole episode. And William basically cites some stats that if you reply in one minute to say a phone call message or an email, then there's a 98% chance of having a conversation. It really drops off. And in 24 hours, less than 1% chance of actually having a meaningful conversation and getting a sale. Which is crazy because that's often, and it says underneath, um, 
a national average response is 42 hours of getting back. I don't know how they know this. Uh, uh, yeah, they're serving lots of companies. Maybe basically. they just asked them a question and just measured all the answers. And like, yeah, yes, the average is 42. Back. Yes, yeah. uh, we're, doing uh, a, we're doing a, thing, a survey about response times. Can they get back to us? And then... <laughs> Yeah. You know, I think that'd probably work out the same way, though, actually. Yeah, I, I can. Uh, that's really. Uh, it's almost like web speed stuff, isn't it? People, mm. you know, pour over that, going, oh, we need to cut it down by 0.2 of a second and so forth. And actually, you know, again, look beyond that and real life replies to queries get back to people. And the, in the one I talked about last month uh, was I emailed like uh, for about a local event. I still haven't had a reply. Really? So that's two and a half months now. They can't be bothered with me, so I can't be bothered with them. As simple as that. Wow. It was a really easy question. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I don't hold a grudge. <laughs> Not at all. It does, it does seem to make a huge difference. And as I said, that we try and pick up new inquiries or anyone where, where they need something new. We'll try and pick that up quite quickly. If they have an existing relationship, I think they're going to wait a little bit longer. Mm. But hopefully they do know about that and they know that we are dealing with it and we will get back to them because that's the, the habit we've got into with them. Yeah, I mean, let's look at this um, sort of getting back to in one minute. And that really is online chat, isn't it? Blimey, one minute, yeah. Yeah, but that's yeah, almost chat, which is uh, coming more frequent on, on contact pages. Yeah. People don't like to call other people. Um, and, uh, you know... It, for whatever reason um, and chat's actually quite a good way because your people can be anywhere as well mm. can't they they don't have to be uh, you know answering manning the phone so to speak they don't get an engaged tone necessarily and also when people are on chat they can deal with more than one at a time Yeah. Um, and you don't mind waiting you know a minute or two if they just say oh I need to go and check that please wait you're like that's fine I'll go and do something else um, so that works quite well and that is a very quick response time yeah usually under a minute when you just from the first thing I did something yesterday which um, over email would have taken Possibly weeks. <laughs> you can only do that over email and chat or in person if you're with them. Um, so yeah, it works, yeah, it works quite I, well. I've had mixed experience. And for example, some of the hosting, one of the hosting companies we use has a very good chat system. Um, in fact, not the chat system, the operators on the chat are able to help you and deal with the problem there and then. True. Um, so not only are they responsive in terms of getting back to you quickly and hopping on that chat, but they can actually solve the problem. Um, as opposed to, that's going back to the lawnmower, which I've got my refund, by the way, now. Okay. Finally, it took a while, and I had to ring them up to pester them to go and check the guys in the, in the warehouse to make sure it come through, but it, it worked. So got it back, and I bought uh, bought one from Screwfix from the end. You'll be pleased to know. I'll show you later, Al. Yeah, so your grass is looking a little bit like it might need it. <laughs> yeah, don't look round the back. <laughs> um, but I, I had a couple of different ways of contacting them. One was via email, which was fine, the other was via phone call, and I didn't get through ever to a support person. So I got through to someone, but I could never get through to anyone who would actually be helpful to me mm. and go through and help me diagnose the problem. And their online chat, I felt, was the same. I was talking to someone who was not able to help me directly, and it was a little bit frustrating because I felt that I know enough. Of, I've had a mower before. I've, I've done a bit of maintenance. I want to be treated with a little bit of respect that I know that I'm not a dummy when it comes to mowers, and I know a little bit about them, at least, well, I'm not a mechanic, but, so, yeah, they, they, they honoured the deal and gave me my money back, but still, it's, it's just shows the difference between having a company where the people who are helping you can actually solve the problem and who know what they're talking about, as opposed to a company where they're not fobbing you off, but they're just trying to manage the process. Uh, yeah, sure, and it doesn't really, it's just, that's why there's long wait times on things, because, there's lots of people who aren't, aren't able to help. But then some of these things are complex. Like if you were to phone up a utility company with a problem, there's probably no real simple solution. Mm. It probably does take a long time to look into. It's not necessarily with the, the faults with them. 
be any number of things. So for bigger problems, like for bigger utility companies, it, it must be, you need a, like an army of people in the front just trying to get rid of pe- of as much pe- many people as they can so mm. they can just focus on the real persistent ones, I guess. You may have a lot of customers who do ask you a lot of stupid questions where maybe if they went through a, a simple diagnostic process, they'd, they'd come at it, you know, just turning things off and on and that, that sort of stuff. I had a very good experience with Microsoft many years ago. Um, I was trying to play an Xbox game and I was having a problem connecting with something. And I started off on chat and then we moved to the phone and the guy was relentless about helping me. And it, was, it turned out to be an issue with the firewall and he helped me configure the firewall to, to get it all set up correctly. And then he followed me up later to make sure, I think it was the next day, to make sure it was all working correctly. He would not stop until it was working. And did he ask for your credit card details and you know, just some strange expenses uh, later on? I, I, was, I was surprised by how, because I'd always had a sort of uh, a feeling of indifference towards Microsoft. And I was really surprised by, I thought this was just a games console, they're not really going to be that fast. It's like, it's your equipment, your problem. But no, he was, he was on it. He really wanted to help. And I was, um, I was really pleased with that. So again, there's a, there's a mixture of things. It's not only response, but being able to deal with that problem as quickly as possible. Mm. Yeah, it's hard remotely dealing with issues because you've got to, you do sometimes have to ask the basics. And it, it's difficult and people aren't always clear on exactly what the problem is and they won't mention Something really, really important that you would have, you know, you would pick up on. They say, "Oh well, obviously I've had this other problem," and then that that is it. And yeah. so it is it's difficult. But I think that comes down to the operator or the person answering that email to really try and get to the nub of the problem as quickly as possible without too much fluff. Um, and that that's actually why I like chat because you get a re- you get around a lot of that formality and you can you can just ask questions. Have you tried this? Have you done that? And you you can do that quite quickly. Doing that over email. It's going to be either wasteful of time or it's going to take many weeks to actually yeah, to get through that. True. Yeah, so just quickly reiterate these numbers, which I think are important. So if you're able to get back to someone within one minute, they found that you had 98% chance of actually having a meaningful conversation through to, um, in 24 hours, less than 1%. I don't know how that applies. This is UK, um, This is US, so I don't know how it applies to oh, the UK. Interesting. But um, I'd imagine you could still take it. That The faster you can respond, the more likely you're going to get what you want. I think it would be similar. I'm not sure if we're more patient or less patient. And again, that's a generalisation. Um, but I, I, it's certainly going to be very similar, isn't it? Yeah. So thanks very much to Alex for sending in those two comments. Um, you get a free podcast out of that. Uh, sorry, not free podcast. I'll say that again. <laughs> so, so thanks very much, Alex, for sending in those comments. You get a free podvert out of that, which I'll read later. So thanks very much. Uh, just moving on in follow-up. GDPR Corner. We should have some sort of... Uh, intro music for that. Oh gosh. GDPR corner or something like that. <laughs> no. I yeah maybe maybe not. maybe we'll we'll come up with something. Okay. Well, um, the title of this uh, segment is not as exciting as uh, what it was uh, that I did. I guessed it on the Mac and Forth podcast again. That's episode one five seven. And Carl invited me on to join Dean and Alan to discuss uh, GDPR legislation. Um, but what was interesting is that it's a Mac podcast and they are all regular people. You know, uh, Dean's got uh, an application. I'm not actually sure what Alan does and Carl is a driver and uh, he also um, is a very avid Mac fan and and runs the podcast. So they're all kind of regular people. And what was it really interesting is not only to talk about it from the business side, but to look at it from how it might affect people and what the benefits are to regular people. And I don't think a lot of people have really looked at that yet. You know, they've talked about, oh, I'm going to demand from Facebook all my information, or I'm going to go to the water company and see what they've got on me. Um, mm-hmm. But 
actually, that's not that interesting. It's what's going to happen long term about will it uh, improve our data safety and that sort of stuff. So it was, um, it was a really good conversation. It was nice to be invited back on. So thanks very much, Carl. And I will put the link to that episode in our show notes. But if you want to check it out now, it's the Mac and Forth podcast. And that's episode 157. Uh, just continuing on our GDPR corner. This was quite interesting. So I follow the, uh, I get a newsletter from the uh, Information Commissioner's Office. And there were some reassuring words from um, Elizabeth Denham, who, who um, heads up the ICO. And at the end of it, it said, to small and micro businesses, clubs and associations who are not quite there, as in not quite getting ready for GDPR for the 25th uh, of this month, I say don't panic. And so, um, sorry, she said that, not me. <laughs> I say don't panic, but she said don't panic. And I thought that's really nice because, yeah, sure, they'll be going after big companies and anyone who's really breaching that regulation in a big way. But she's saying that, really, as long as you are working towards GDPR and you are, you are doing your best, they will take that into consideration if there's a problem. The cynic, the cynic in me just reads that as, as saying, they're not ready for it either. <laughs> And they're not going to be able to do anything either because it's all rather. Oh, I did it seems read that, rather yeah. rushed. <laughs> yeah, it is like don't worry because we won't, we aren't going to be able to get yeah. around to you anyway. Don't panic because we're all taking holidays in August anyway, and you know we're not going to get around to it before then. <laughs> um, so with all that, let's round off GDPR corner, and I, I, I for one am looking forward to it. It's only two days away now. Um, I've got the bunting out. We've got actually we've got a little mini festival going on in our garden, and you know, going to look for the cat for it. I was thinking we could actually it might be nice to do a live version on GDPR Day, and we'll have a Facebook live video. You up for that? Um, um, to be fair, I'm busy. I'm afraid. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry about that. You yes. got more on. What? Yeah. What did you call me? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, we have lots of guests. It'll be a bit like the royal wedding, won't it? Yeah. Streaming into your garden. Yeah, it'll be like a you know one of those uh, yeah royal wedding, some sort of twenty four hour broadcast where we, we invite lots of people in to give a sort of really boring. But we can't say what their on. names are. No. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have oh, to get, look at that a list coming get that in. Permission in up front. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and you can't even send out a mailing list to promote it. So really, I think your event might just fall foul okay. of its own. Let's ditch the reason. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. No problem. Right. Moving on. Going to sponsor with ticked off. TikTok will help you promote your startup or small business online with our simple step-by-step process. It saves time by providing relevant marketing information when you need it and saves money by sharing market-tested ideas to promote your business. Every task in the TikTok process is broken up into manageable chunks so you can go from newbie to pro one task at a time. If you get stuck or need help applying a task to your business, their friendly marketing experts are available to answer questions to keep you ticking. You can share tasks with coworkers, your web developer, or the world through social media if you're unable to complete the task yourself and need a little bit of help. If you don't know where to start, who to trust, or are too busy running your company to make time for marketing, then I think TikTok is for you. You can sign up for a free seven-day trial at ticked-off.com with just your email and no credit card. And if you are listening to this podcast, if you let me know afterwards by tweet or by email at hello at ratherinventive.com, then I will upgrade your seven-day trial to two months, absolutely free. TikTok helps you be the boss of your marketing one task at a time. So moving on to our main topic, um, last at the end of the last month, we went to a conference called WXG, that's down in Guildford, and that was for the full day, that was Al, Claire and I uh, attended that in force, and um, it's quite a full, full packed day, lots of um, speakers on, so we're going to run through a few of our favourites, and... Um, and give you our, our feeling for the day, really, and what we learned from that. 
So mm. Al, do you uh, do you want to start? Well, I got one? I got there a bit earlier than you. you I, I was up about five <laughs> on the train with all the poor commuters heading into London. Oh bless Al, uh, which You're... I don't normally do that sort of thing. Bless Al, we were late, and I said, "Please, could you grab me a bacon sandwich?" Because that's all I'm looking forward to at the beginning. And he did. So <laughs> I did. You. I got the second to last one. Thank you. And I had I had one already that I had to eat extremely quickly so I could get the next one without looking like a greedy gut. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you missed the first one, which was from I can't remember his name, uh, guy from Slack. Some guy from Slack. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I didn't really know much. It just seemed to be an advert for Slack, really. Yeah. I think. And then there was lots of talk about Slack socks, which didn't seem relevant to me at all. Yeah, and we don't use Slack, so it was all a bit yeah. in crowdy with like Slack users. It seems to be quite a uh, quite a thing we don't use. So. Um, might be worth checking out and having a look at. But, yeah, have you not used Slack at all? I haven't. Ah, I haven't so, need so to. It's, it's basically a, a chat program, a bit like our. Uh, in fact, I think it runs on the backbone of IRC. Yeah, so must remember IRC. Yeah. So our IRC is like an old framework for chat, um, which is still around. Um, but Slack sits on top of that, I think, and gives mm. it a web interface with lots of pretty emoticons and other cool automation and stuff mm. like that. Um, so it's just a pretty way of looking at it, and they've I, done really well. I know remote teams use it. Use it a lot. Yeah, and, and it's um, free. Yeah, which is good. I think the standout thing for me there was uh, his response to a question. <laughs> Instead of answering the question, he, he turned around and said, are there any press in the room? And I think that's just a great way to answer a, que- a question. <laughs> I'm going to remember that one. <laughs> okay, so what was the next? So the next one? was Karen. So we got in time for that. Um, so this was Karen Boswell. I can't actually remember the company. Let me look at my notes, see if oh, I can find no out. Um, oh, yeah, I can't remember either. She's Scarlet Geek on Twitter. So that helps. Maybe we can look that up. Right, well, uh, do you remember her while you talk oh, about... Oh, sure, our... yeah, okay, uh, multitasking here. Um, yes, uh, their agency, very impressive agency, like mixed, well, all media kind of agency, like an ad, uh, ideas kind of agency, all sorts of big clients, and not just, uh, you know, multi-channel, I guess you could say. So they they were uh, talking about working on a lot of um, different projects. One um, was for the uh, game. I can't remember football game. Can't remember which one. Yeah, is it FIFA? I, I, this it might FIFA? be FIFA. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, but um, yeah. So they kind of invented this move on on this game that was like a secret sort of special like Easter egg thing, and then it kind of moved from the game into the real world. People tweeting about it and videoing it, and then. Um, it turned out that then some some of the players actually had to learn this move, which is like a, it's called El Tornado, like a tornado for this like kick. <laughs> so they kind of enter this kick and then try to get actual football footballers to sort of use this kick in real life. Uh, and they so did, didn't they? They did. They actually got footballers during matches to do kicks in the style that they'd made up. Yeah, Brilliant. which is uh, it, that's an incredible amount of organisation and uh, uh, anyway, just amazing. Um, yeah, I was impressed by that. I, I, and what I liked is their the determination to get that to happen. And it obviously didn't happen straight away. It's something they probably had to push and prod at and do lots of behind the scenes work to get it to get it there. But it's good. Yeah, and also, I mean, these a lot of these guys have got big budgets for lots of ads and, yeah. and so forth, and staff to manage all of the social media aspects and things. So you know, these are big budget things. Mm. Um, uh, I can't remember some of the other ones. Can you remember any other ones? You know? I can't. That's the only one I noted okay. down. Because yeah. all, all the others looked looked great, but I didn't I didn't pick anything from it. Um, it. You know, her her presentation was good, but it just did seem like an advert for some of the work that she'd done previously. Um, I can't actually find out who she works for, but you can go to her <laughs> website, meetkarenboswell.com, and find out more about her there. There were two things that I noted down that she said that I thought were interesting. Disrupt before you are disrupted, um, which is something 
that companies should really do. You shouldn't rest on your laurels. If you've got a good product that's doing well, at some point, someone is going to address the same pain points your product does in a different way that people will prefer. And you're better off trying to identify what that product is and disrupt yourself first before someone else does. Because someone will at, at some point. Mm. And solve for your customer first. And that's just basically looking at the pain points. What, what problems do your customers have and trying to build something that works for them. So there were two good statements that I, I, I noted down. Now, moving on to Emma Lawton. I know that's someone you really wanted to see. Mm. Because, um, uh, yeah, I saw the... See the uh, sorry. Yes, because I'd seen the TV show um, about the life hacks a couple of years previously. Um, so she was uh, obviously a, a massive advocate for um, kind of usability, I guess, for all sorts of people. Um, and uh, really just to focus on on designing for your user rather than for you or mm. your sort of your own um, ego or whatever. Um, and a good designer will do that. A good designer will will design for the people who need to use it ultimately. Yeah. Um, not and in anything in a product or a website or an app or something. Um, it doesn't always have to look. Or even a cup, like. Uh, and even a cup. Yeah. I, I remember. I think it's got on this one. This is an IKEA cup. I'm, I'll try and describe it for radio. Give you a visual idea. So it's one of those IKEA cups where when you have them in the dishwasher and turn them upside down, it's got a little notch in the bottom so the water doesn't sit in the bottom and go all over you when you pick it out. And that, that's a designer's thought of that. So they've, they've thought through the problems that people come up with with the cup um, and uh, then design them out or design it so it's more useful for people. And they also stack. They look a little bit like something you might find in, the, in a WI meeting. Yeah, and the colour is, certainly. That's yeah. a classic colour. It's a classic green. Um, who... Uh, there's a famous pottery maker that, that do stuff this colour. I can't oh. remember what it's called. But uh, anyway, well, I'll find out, put a link to them if I can. Wow. If I can. My, my wife likes this colour. Um, but yeah, so, so it's, it's thinking about how making sure that cup is comfortable and actually is making sure that your, your little fingers rest in there nicely and it doesn't drip water all over you when you pick it out of the dishwasher. Um, but you're, you're right, that's what a designer does. They, they, they can think about a problem and solve that for the mm. customer first. So I think her thing she said was... Um, Oh yeah, so she said, um, if you're not designing for your customer, then you're designing for you. Mm -hmm. Which, and you could be your customer. I mean, that, that's a good way to start if you're starting off a product uh, with a product and the product is filling, fulfilling your pain point. That makes sense. But otherwise, yeah, she's quite right. If you're just a designer making a website and you're not looking at the customer, then you're just making this website for you. <laughs> and it's not going to work for the customer. Yeah. And often do you find that businesses do that then? Um, oh, it, absolutely. The business will want the website to look nice for them. Of course. But it doesn't actually necessarily appeal to their customer. In some ways, and this would never work in reality, but in some ways businesses shouldn't really be allowed to make any decisions about their website. <laughs> yeah. Because they're the people who know most about it. Yeah. Why would you uh, ask, uh, if you're designing something for, for your customers, you wouldn't, you know, why would you, you know the most about it? So yes, saw the content and all the information. But in terms of, in terms of how it's organised mm. and how it reads and the information on there, you are probably the worst placed person to do that because you know it all and things, you just know how it all fits together and you can't unknow it. Yeah. It's very hard to unknow it. And, and also you're, you're thinking about it from your point of view, what you want to deliver rather than looking at it from the customer's point of view. What problems are you trying to help them with? There are some companies and people who can do that very well. They really understand their customer. Are very good at addressing that but you're right a lot a lot don't yeah and that's i think constant kind of usability focus groups gorilla testing or, or um you know, gorilla, testing. Monster, gorilla what, testing what, what gorilla so you just literally it? yeah so you just jump out of a, a hedge <laughs> with a phone. look at this website yeah what do you think of this <laughs> and then uh, yeah if they don't run off then uh, that's a good sign okay. um and you just sort of say 
what, what do you think of this? Or it's called down the hall testing, where you just go and get some... Well, that's usually your colleagues, which, again, aren't always the mm-hmm. best people. Um, but, yeah, if you go out and guerrilla testing, it's kind of like the public, the unassuming, unaware public. And they will do the maddest things that you will not, well, actually, you will I, not I, even think of as a thing. <laughs> I remember last year, they had a guy there who did user, user testing. And he said, if you can do nothing else, like you don't have a budget for user testing, take it down the pub. Take, yeah. take your laptop or tablet down the pub or down, a, down a cafe or somewhere where your audience are, if they're the general public, and just say, look, can I buy you a coffee? If you just give me 10 minutes of your time to look over something and just get feedback. Don't, you, know, they don't, you don't have to do eye tracking. You don't have to mm. do cameras. You just get their feedback. You say, right, are you able to buy something for me? Are you able to um, tell me if you can find the contact details? Whatever it might be. Just go and do that because that's going to cost you a couple of quid, not very much. It's priceless. Just a bit of time. And, and actually, as it goes, you, you might think you need to do this a lot, but you actually need 10 to 15 people and that will give you as, mu- as much statistics as if you did 100 people. Really? Yeah. 10 to 15. 15 would be optimum. So should we go down the pub? Yes, fine. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we should do it more. I, I really enjoy that side of it. It's just finding time. And, and while it doesn't actually cost them much, it's time for us. So you're it not and people. it's also also convincing the the client that at the time all the money involved is that is worthwhile, and also they won't believe them. They won't believe the yeah. users. Um, they won't think they're um, you know the demographically correct for their business, or they'll think well you know these guys they didn't understand it, but actually they are the real users. Yeah, yeah. Often it's better even if they're not um, into that subject area. If you can get them to go through the process, a lot of the same rules apply. Yeah, so. you need an advocate. At, at the company, uh, or at least you have to be the, the, the user's advocate yeah. um, and be quite forceful in that. So, um, yeah, she's got some t- good tips I noted down for getting design right. Involve people, preferably the people you're designing it for at the beginning, really, really important. Um, make sure you put users over technology. So if, there's, um, if someone wants to include some fancy whirly gig on the website and it doesn't help users, then you shouldn't include it. You should only really be bringing in technology to support the things that people want to do on a website. Um, making sure you ask lots of questions of people. Immerse yourself. Now this is what I like this, and you tend to try and do this where possible, is to immerse yourself in the problem or in the client or in that area. And, and that could be done through researching other websites, what other people look at, could be going to the places they go to, um, you know, really trying to do that as much as possible. What's that term in acting? It's a method acting. Method acting, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like journalism. Like, was it that uh, Gonzo journalism? You know uh, that. Um, oh, who's the guy? Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. What was his name? Who, who wrote that? I don't he, know. He, he started, yeah, started that thing called Gonzo, where he, to do an article, he would go and like he did an article on the Hell's Angels. So we went and lived with the Hell's Angels yeah. for like three months. It was like kind of immersive, kind of like that is the story, yeah. rather than sitting back and writing a story about them. Like, the story is you going in there and writing the story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but it, it depends. Again, it depends on the. Uh, the, the business whether that's even a possibility yeah practically time. speaking it, it comes down to time and budget you know it who's does, willing yeah. to pay for that someone's got to pay for it somewhere along the line otherwise it's a bit of charity work which you know is fine to do but um, but it's so, so basically if you can immerse yourself in the world of the client and the problems then do that um, and then coming back you know once you finish the project checking back with the users along the way to make sure you've got that right because you can't just poll them or interview them at the beginning and then expect everything to go perfectly because it won't you know you need a sort of iterative process where you can get that feedback put it back into the project design and then um, test it out on them again and keep doing that um so yeah that was a really really good um, presentation 
Um, she's also got a really good project. So she suffers with Parkinson's, is that right? Mm-hmm. And she's uh, she did a project where she was videoing herself every day, just talking about the issue. Because she just wanted, not for people to feel sorry for her, but for people to understand what Parkinson's was and how it affected her. Just so it wasn't a taboo subject. And so she did that for a year, every day. And she started up a project called 365s, which is spelt with the words of the numbers. So T-H-R-E-E-S-I-X-F-I-V-E-S.com, 365s.com, where she is inviting other people to do the same thing and talk about Parkinson's initially, and then talking about other issues, not necessarily diseases, but other issues that affect people on a regular basis, just so they don't become taboo. So people can see it's actually quite normal, and a lot of people suffer from debilitating circumstances in some way so and um, we sponsored a small amount of that so I, I um if you, anyone has a small amount they can contribute it's worth having a look at that project and um, we actually skip forward i just want to go back to monica the futurist who you oh, said you yeah, found interesting um she did she looked a little bit like she was out of blade runner i thought she, did, yeah. she had a blue hair i think and a sort of really cool backpack thing like a hard shell backpack <laughs> which i really liked <laughs> um yeah she was quite interesting um she took, she is like a an advisor, I guess, on how people might interact or not interact, or um, yeah, looking at future technology and how that might uh, impact in this way. This film, it you know, the film and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess that's quite Minority Report ish. You know, um, we're still not quite there yet with some of the things in Minority Report. Oh, I don't think it'll be too not far, far off. Some of the sort of looking you know, at some like, of the Microsoft stuff that they've got coming out um, recently at the Bill is it the Bill Conference where they've got these big huge screens 50 inch screen touch screens that go on the wall that you can swipe and move about i mean it's not it's not as nice as the the minority report yeah but it's, it's almost there. getting there getting there yeah. so um i found that quite interesting i think uh, always i always remember about 2001 space odyssey film yeah which was in filmed in 68 which is before man and even landed on the moon it's amazing and in that they had a bit where he goes into a little kiosk and like talks to his kids back home because he's on this like um base somewhere and um and uh, that's Skype. And it didn't, you know, nothing like that existed. And yet, you know, that's that's just, uh, again, a futuristic view of what we have now. Yeah, it's quite normal. So whether it's um, uh, things being invented because someone imagines it, or actually someone knows what someone's going to make in the future, it's a bit of both. So mm. she was talking about, you know, the fictions we tell bleed back into reality mm. uh, so that Actually, by coming up with these ideas, someone think, "Oh, that's a good idea. I'll make that." <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. Often you, you've you've heard it's been said that science comes from science fiction a lot of the time because it it's it's putting that picture in place and go. Actually, I think we can do that, or we can head to that, or you can see the usefulness of it. Um, she worked on some cool films. Mm. I do get that. a lot of dark films, even though she was advocating to look at a brighter future, look mm-hmm. at the positive sides of it. Mm-hmm. She's saying a lot of films look at the at the um, negative effects and the really bad things that, ha- that happened. And when you see future films, they're usually dystopian, aren't they? Yeah, they're very rarely like, um, oh wow, everything's amazing and the robots are just so helpful and we, you know, we don't need jobs and uh, we just all it's all great. We'll sit in meadows having picnics. That's right. It's never quite like that. No, so I I don't know if that's just not as interesting, but she she did. Make Mention a, a film called Wakanda, um, featuring a fictional African city. I've yet to look into that. But you know, it I was trying to find the name of that film. I couldn't find it anywhere. So yeah. that's great to know that. Okay, I'll Wakanda. Try that. Yeah, yeah. I haven't. Asked, if I see if I can find a link to further information on it. Um, but even though I didn't get so much from her presentation, what a cool job <laughs> it is. What she being like, not a science advisor, but a, a, like a science fiction advisor mm. on films and saying. 
you know, looking at a, bit, a city or something that someone's designing and how they might people might move through it and advising designers and other building architects on that and saying, this, you know, to make it feel real, I think that is a cool job, I'm so jealous. Yeah, there can't be many people who do it. It's not something you could, <laughs> you'd ever see it on, uh, you know, on total jobs, would you? No, no, exactly. <laughs> right, we, we've got to move on. Mm. Um, so next was Chad Jennings, and he was talking about on fooling ourselves with data. And I just want to say on this, he was saying that often it's very easy for people to look at customer data. So you can look at successful checkout purchases and, and, and all the positives, you know, who called. who. who um, but he was saying, actually, what can be really interesting is looking at the non-customer data. So basically looking at people who didn't buy. It's harder, but it's really interesting once you can find out because then you can adapt your process, your website, your shop front, so that those people are more inclined to buy. Mm. I think there's a lot of... Um... Yeah, focus on data you do have rather than the data you don't have. Yeah. It's natural. You've got the data you have, so you think, okay, look at that, analyse it to the nth degree. But yeah, there's a whole load of people who, who bounced away or didn't do something. Um, but also, I've always said bounce rates aren't or uh, bounce rates are a little bit, um, not always a bad thing. Someone found what they needed and that was it. That's a great thing. Yeah. You've done your job. They're looking around for five minutes on your site, looking for something. You haven't done that, your job. That's right. He was saying that average time on site might be bad. If it's, if it's going up, people are spending too much time on there. Um, one way you can look at this is you could use this analysis on a competitor. So you could look at competitors and say, why are people not buying from them? What is it that we can do to get those customers to buy from us? So that's, that's another way you can use this data. So not just on your own customers, but if mm. you're a startup, you can look at a company and say, there's a proportion of people who buy from them, but there is also a, a, another proportion who don't. Mm. Why don't they buy from them and what can we do to fulfill it? And again, that's something which would do, you know, like down the pub testing. Yeah. Because again, you're perhaps in that, you're just, you know too much and, and you just think about someone else and they'll be like, oh, well, there's no delivery information. You might not have seen that because you're, you know what the delivery cost is. Just stuff like that puts people off, puts me off. Yeah. Where's the delivery? I'm not filling out all my details until you tell me the delivery. It's like a ransom. I'm not doing it. Tell me how much it costs to get delivered or I'm not going to buy anything. Yeah, just I'm give not going to go any further. What am I in for here? Because people are quite yeah. willing to invest a lot of time in filling out their details or browsing a shop, whatever it might be. But yeah, you're right. If you're not fulfilling that criteria initially, what is their pain point? Like, I want to know you've got the product. I can buy it from you. And what the price is. Because I'm comparing. Because that's what people will do. Of course, yeah, comparing. But you're not telling me the price because part yeah. of the price you're keeping from me until I've filled out, I've yeah. committed time to you and I'm not, I'm not yeah. falling for that, sorry. No. It's, <laughs> it, it's interesting. So it's difficult to do. So basically his, his nub was um, try to look at the data you don't have or try and identify why the customers who walked away walked away. Um, and then finally on here, unless you want to add anything, um, Al, is Anna from BBC Earth. I think she's from, still from BBC uh, Earth. I believe she's so. moved to there. Um, mm. And so one of the things that you had interacted with before that she was talking about was called the Real Happiness Project. And I believe this came from them having lots of, lots of um, footage shot through BBC Earth or through the BBC for wildlife programmes. And they were thinking, what could they do with them to help people? You know, can they use this to brighten people's lives rather than social media seeming to darken people's lives a lot of the time? And so they came up with a real happiness project, which was delivered over Facebook Messenger, I believe. And um, you, you, yeah, you another thing. I, I, yeah, I, I actually downloaded it when they sort of um, they advertised it. I thought oh, that looks interesting, so I did it. But yeah, there's lot. They've done lots of research into um, the fact that animal looking at animals <laughs> and nature and wildlife actually does improve happiness a little bit for a, a little while. Um, although it's still on a screen and you're not really there cuddling a little red panda, um, it helps. 
and it's I, better I, than not having it. I can attest to that because I've got two pigeons who come into the garden. I've got a very good view of the garden generally. And it's so funny watching them basically looking quite stupid, walking around the garden trying to find food because they look so cumbersome. It just, it just amuses me. And then there's these two blackbirds who are fighting for the food with these pigeons. And there's this, there's this sort of mini war going on. I love it. It does actually make me feel quite happy watching these silly animals. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, you get this um, every week. You get a little message saying, would you like a happiness moment? And it asks you a couple of questions. It's over like Facebook Messenger chatbot thing. Mm-hmm. And so you ask, asking questions. And it sort of sends you like furry animals or, or, or like bugs or... Um, vegetarian animals or meat-eating animals <laughs> and just sends you clips about all those different things. Yeah, it puts a little clip together for it you. It puts a, your own yeah. unique clip. Did you feel happier after watching it? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think it's nice. Uh, but, yeah, I don't feel far removed from nature anyway most of the time, so, um, you know, I don't, I don't you know, live in a high-rise and I don't just see concrete, so mm. um, for me personally, it's nice. I don't use it all the time. Sometimes I do. More often than not, I just say, no, I'm not into it at the moment. They say, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's good. It was really, really nice talk. And she also mentioned something about Doctor Who and interactive branch stories. I've got to research into that and find out a bit more. I did hear about it from someone else, but I think it basically, I might be getting this wrong, takes the Doctor Who world and create creates a story based on um, where you have a conversation. Uh, with a bot but I've got to look into this oh, right. yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it seems quite interesting I'm not big into Doctor Who the series but the idea the concept I quite like so uh, that might be something to look when into when anyone says Doctor Who well, my brain just shuts down it did, it did then actually <laughs> did it I just uh, can't be yeah not my thing at all no very strange well I'll, I'll look into it and share the link if I find anything on that we forgot the guy who did augmented reality stuff you know, who's that <gasps> What's he, his name oh, here I, I didn't I didn't he, get that he was so much that's the VR that, stuff yeah, Simon Reeve was that him could, yes, so he does lots of immersive technology and stuff. He's yeah, got, lots of like walking around with VR headsets you know what? on. He had some cool stuff too. Mm. But the problem I had with his um, presentation, very cool. So he he had stuff like where he's um, he's got what Darren Brown's Ghost Train experience was a pretty cool one. So he's got um, a full scale um, mock up of a tube train, a real train, which people go into and then they put on these masks and they uh, not masks um, VR headsets and they've each I assume got independent computers linked to these headsets and. They basically, once they get them on, I guess they're then recreated in virtual reality in this tube carriage. He didn't really show that off too much. And then things happen. So I think the tube carriage moves as well as the VR experience going on to scare people. Um, and he did the same thing with roller coasters where people put on a VR headset and go on a roller, on a roller coaster. coaster which That's is something just else. nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? Um, so he had some really cool stuff that looked amazing. But... I think his, what he was talking about in VR didn't really go anywhere. It's more of a showreel. It's like, look at this cool stuff. And then talking a little bit about VR. Um, but I didn't, get so, I didn't get so into that. It's just yeah, a lot of things in the future will be VR. Yeah. In, a, um, in our dystopian future world. Yeah. And, and augmented reality. I've, I've been trying out lots of augmented reality apps. And most are not... They're fine. A bit fun. But they're not that like, great. Not what, that what's that film with Bruce Willis in where they're, they're all... Oh, I can't remember what it's called. They actually all live in their little apartments and all they do all day is live a... It's like second world, second... Uh, yes, they second have, life or they have a, another body yeah. which they buy called something. I know that's the name of the yes, film. Yes, that's the name of the film. We'll, we'll get there eventually. Uh, that's, actually, that's actually pretty good, yes. Oh, it's, uh, 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 oh, I can't remember. It's just one word, isn't it? It's like a... Mm, like, mm. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's exactly and, and they all live... Yeah, and, that's, and they just live in this... With this headset on and they live this immersive world with other 
Yeah, so they've got things. like an avatar which represents them. I don't, I don't know if the avatar is a real thing or a robot, but basically, yeah, when they put in VR, they they are immersed into this person who then interacts in the real world on their behalf, and so they can do lots of illicit, naughty things, and it's not going to affect their body. It doesn't really matter. Surrogates. Surrogates. Yes. Oh, I've got to watch that again. It's, it's a good film. Yeah. I think. Um, a good sign of it. I think a good sci-fi. I think even Lou liked it, so that's a good sign. Wow. Lou, my Lou, my wife. So. so. I think that's a good sign of that. Um, but what what did you think of his presentation? Apart from that, what do I think no, I thought it was really interesting, oh. uh, um, and lots of uh, things. I mean, he was just saying, you know, the technology is already here mm. for all this stuff. You know, this isn't old. You know, this isn't some of this stuff's been around for a long time. It's just not been in the mainstream, maybe, but it's getting there. And so there's a lot of stuff I think already sort of in in the wings that's already works that we'll yeah. see coming through. I just don't know who's doing all this programming. It's so I mean, it's complicated it stuff. Yeah. Really complicated. Yeah. So uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's uh, Oculus. I think has re- released some new bit of hardware, which is like a mobile version version of their Oculus Rift. So it's completely portable. Doesn't have doesn't have to link to another computer. Um, so that's moving that stage on a bit. He did say one thing, which is quite, which is I've known, but it's, it's good to be called out that. People don't like putting on virtual reality headsets because they feel vulnerable. So it's something you might want to do at home if you feel safe. But the moment you put that headset on, people feel locked out. They don't actually know what's going on in the real world. Mm. And that is going to be a big thing to overcome. So going back to that film Surrogates, I think basically once you put that on, you're lying in a pod and um, you feel safe because you're just so immersed in it. That you feel that you forget about the outside world. I think at the moment we've got this problem where people are dipping in and out of VR, and you forget all the motion sickness and all of that sort of stuff. But people just don't feel safe. You're putting something over their eyes. Yeah, it's a massive, massive, yeah, it's a it massive uh, blindfold. Yeah, it is, and so um, that's one a, a big hurdle to get over. And that you could either do that through drugs by pacifying people, or having something which they stay in for so long they forget that anything exists. Or it's like augmented that. in some way, so you can actually can see around you, but other things are happening that jump out from behind, you know, lampposts and stuff. <laughs> I don't want that. No, I don't really want that. But I just want to look at the animals, Alan. I just want to look at the animals. Oh, maybe you can have real happiness VR, so you can just walk along and a, and a, a oh, badger yes. a badger just runs out. So, yeah, you're walking through a city. <laughs> Not a badger, no. No, no you're walking through a city. Come and attack you. Walking through a city, and then just there's, like, deer, and there's a sheep, and there's animals grazing, and you look around, there's a squirrel on the wall, that kind oh, of thing. Uh, I'd like that. That's yeah. kind of mer- that's a big interesting merge of the two things. If, if I can find it, there is um, a dystopian version of that um, <laughs> of augmented reality, which someone put together. It's like a five minute short. Almost, it's really cool. I want to see that as a film. It's brilliant, and I think I think people are petitioning him to do more. It's really good. But basically, it's um, this person who's just doing walking through daily life, and they've got these aug- augmented augmented reality glasses or headset on. Um, and you see what's going on, and you see what could happen if there's a problem with it. It's really, really good. Um, I'll just see if I can find the link to that. Um, we should move on. Mm. So just before we finish off, I want to give a communion their podvert. Communion architects work closely with people to deliver exceptional projects that transform spaces and lives. Um, and if you go to their website, which is communionarchitects.com, um, one of my favourite pages on there is the Home Extension Project page. Do you know why it is, Al? Um, not only is it a lovely little extension, it looks just so inviting. I think I've got a picture of it um, here, if I can find it. There we are, Al, just to, just to set the scene for you, Al. Mm. Um, so it's a lovely little extension. Um, do you know what it's got in the corner over there? It's got a hot pod stove. I, I don't do you remember know. those? 
is uh, made yeah. out of VW parts. Do you remember we I, were I working remember. with the guy doing helping him with his website on that? Yes. Oh, lovely. Just br- just brings back good memories of that that stuff. <laughs> um. So anyway, yeah. If you, I mean, we know Alex. He's a client of ours. I've known him a long time. He's a lovely guy, and I do recommend that if you do have any, if you're looking at home extension or uh, just developing your house in any way. Not only is Alex a qualified architect and has a great team around him, but he comes up with some really good ideas. I mean, one of the things I love about Alex is, is the way he thinks about everything um, and the way he really takes light into consideration, which I think a lot of other people don't, and how you move about in your daily life and how you're going to use your home. And that then is all impacted on the design. You know, we were talking about that earlier and about how you should bring your user into the design. Alex really does that. You know, he'll think about... How do you want to move around your house? How do you want to use it? How do your children use it? You know, realistically, and then build the house around that. So, yeah, check them out. That's communionarchitects.com, and you can find them on Twitter, at Communion Design. So if you'd like a podvert, just tweet your service or product that you'd like to promote, mentioning at Rather Inventive, and the hashtag podvert, and we'll include it in the next episode. So just moving on, I just want to mention two articles appearing on the Rather Inventive um, blog over the last month, and one is called The Value of Visual Content. That's by Jack McCautry. Um, so if you got go to our blog, which is ratherinventive.com slash blog, you can see it there, The Value of Visual Content. And I'll just quote a little bit from there, which I think is really important uh, for me anyway. Authenticity is key with everything online. Helping to build credibility around your team and brand so it is important that images are yours. Grabbing the attention of your audience and leave a lasting impression should be your objective. Move away from staged corporate imagery helps to bring personality to your marketing. I think you'd agree with that as well. Absolutely. If you can take the photo yourself, even if it's not as professional as some of the stock library footage, I think it will be received better because it's natural. Obviously, I'd say try and get a professional in or at least good quality camera, lots of lights. But having people, real people from your company involved who are smiling and interacting with customers or doing interacting with the product, that is important than just stock library footage. So um, you have a read of that. That's the value of visual content. And then one from Lou, five ways to be memorable. Uh, Just a quote from here. Don't try to be different. Sorry, I'll say this again. (laughs) Don't try to be better, be different. So she quotes, uh, just take a look at Brittany Castro, who raps about her niche, personal finance. If she can do something different with a subject as dry as personal finance, then she can certainly put an interesting spin. Oh, no, she can't. then you can certainly put an interesting spin on your photography, website development, or kitchen design business. And actually, go and have a look at the video. It's really good. It's, um, it's quite funny because you can see she's, she's a bit nervous about doing it, and they include some of those bits in there. But it's a really nice, honest video where she, she, wraps, it that, uh, she wraps about personal finance um, on her column. So I definitely worth having a look at that. So that's five ways to be memorable, again, on our website, ratherinventive.com slash blog. Anything else you want to talk about, Al? Or should we finish off for for this month? I think I'm done. Okay. So, if you enjoy this episode, please share it with someone else. That's the way we can grow and get, you know, if you like it, then someone else is likely to like it. So do share it with someone else. You can either send them to our website, ratherinventive.com slash podcast, or you can give us a review on iTunes. Uh, That also helps our podcast as well. So just go go to head over to iTunes. The link should be in the notes. And you can find uh, the podcast on there. And just give us a review. Good, honest review. And if you do, we'll read it out on the podcast as well. You can find the show notes for this episode on our website, ratherinventive.com slash podcast. And this is episode number 25. You can get in touch with us on Twitter. I'm at Ben Canaird and Al is at Inventive Al. 
I also just want to give a shout out to the sponsor, ticked-off.com. When you go and sign up for your free trial, just let me know. Just send me an email, hello at ratherinventive.com or get me on Twitter at Ben Kinnaird and I'll extend your trial for two months. And finally, if you want to be part of the show, uh, just send in your business marketing or creativity questions for the next episode. Tweet us, send us an email and we'll read it out and you'll be part of it. And we'll get back to you within one minute. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say things like <laughs> okay, that. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.